Uh, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. We'll be in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. All right. Good morning. We're going to dive into the, the word this morning. Um, so yeah, this is our third week in our On the Same Page series where we've been walking through our mission, our vision, our values as a church. And if you're getting tired of topical sermons and you want to go back to a book of the Bible, you're in good company. Me too. We're going to do that starting next week. Um, and so if it, if it feels like I've been preaching the same sermon over and over and over, I am. You're getting it. Yes. Um, but it's, it's good for us to get on the same page. Uh, on the same page, that's a phrase that I've used a lot in my marriage. Um, when Anna and I are not on the same page, you might as well put me in a full body cast for how useful I am to society. Like, seriously. If, if at any moment we become, like, off in kind of just our vibe, like, connected, on the same page, doing life, it's like you're, I'm in the middle of a hurricane. Like, I can't see anything clearly. Everything is shot. And, and that's the same with any, any team, really, right, that, that has to be in full accord. Whether it's your coworkers, you know, on a project, or the Navy SEALs, or, or any kind of group that is acting as one. They need to be on the same page if they're going to get anything good done. And that's kind of the point of the purpose of these last few weeks, is for us to be on the same page with, with what we're doing, with why we're here. And so we, as we've been looking at, we've been gifted the opportunity to take ground for the most important mission on earth, which is God's own mission, to, to renew all things in Jesus Christ. And you can throw up the slide for that one. You know, God has invited us into that mission, into what he is himself doing. And of course, we can't do that alone. As we looked at last week, we need his power, and we also need one another. And so our vision as a church is this, to form a family of spirit-filled disciples of Jesus who are committed to Capitol Hill in truth and love. But the question remains, that's all well and good, yeah, but how do we do that? How on earth can we go about getting that beautiful yet daunting mission accomplished. And that's where our values come in. Our, val our, our mission is what God is doing. Our vision is what we are doing. Our values are how we're doing it. You can throw those up. Our values are our non-negotiables. 
These are what we will never, ever stray from as we desire to accomplish our mission. You know, I invited you all to to submit ideas and, and input about the values. And that's because these aren't just my values. These are our values. These aren't just my non-negotiables. These are our non-negotiables. But what are they? Here they are. Number one, we are grounded in God's word. Number two, we are attuned to God's spirit. Number three, we are a loving family. And number four, we are passionately missional. So we're going to dive into each of those today. As we ponder, you know, what are the things that we want to hold on to as we press on, as we move forward, as we take ground? So yeah, you opened your Bibles already, but we're going to open them to Galatians chapter 6. In this passage, you know, it's at the end of the book of Galatians where Paul is predominantly yelling at them. (laughs) He's mad. But at the end of the book, he kind of lays out a beautiful picture of the community that he's talking to. And starting in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 6, he says, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Your Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that your spirit carried along the authors of Scripture to to put it down for us. And we desire to learn from your word. Uh, We pray that your word and your spirit would, would penetrate our hearts this morning, would teach us, and Lord, would help us to realign ourselves with your values, Lord, with, with the way you want us to go about this thing. And teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So notice, you can just keep the values up, Matt. So notice that these values aren't really anything especially new or creative or innovative. They're basically two sets. You know, numbers one and two are, are a vertical value. And numbers three and four are, are horizontal. And another way to categorize them might be according to the, the first, the top two commands of Scripture, right? When, when someone said to Jesus, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, one, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we can look at these values and categorize them in those two ways. We are loving God by being grounded in his word and attuned to his spirit. And we are loving people by being a loving family and then having that family spill out into love for our community. So love God and love people. 
And we want to, we want our, the love that we have that we're cultivating in an inward sense amongst ourselves. We want that not to stay there. We want it to spill out. We want it to affect those outside these literal walls, outside the, the walls of the kingdom of God, as well as by seeking to bring those people in to these walls. So let's, let's take a look at this passage and how it illustrates these four values. First off, grounded in God's word. Notice in verse 6, Paul says, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. You know, notice how in this passage the, the teaching of the word is sort of brought up nonchalantly, kind of casual. Paul goes on here to talk about life in the spirit, about, about doing good both outside the church and inside. But in the background, assumed here, almost casually brought up through it all is the steady teaching of God's word that needs to be happening week by week. And he goes even further. He says, the one who is taught must share all good things with the one who teaches. And that's kind of hard to understand what that means. Um, but it does mean to some degree that the church needs to invest in those who are teaching them and vice versa. You know, there's a mutuality happening here. And in a sense, the assumption is that a church will both hire and financially sustain a pastor. Just kind of 101 as part of how the church functions. But don't worry, I'm not, this is not a sermon about my salary, okay? But I'm just, this is an example of Paul saying, this is a priority. This is a priority. That, you know, if you, like we all know, if you want to know the priorities of any human being or organization or family or, or company, you look where the money is going. And like I said, I'm not saying money, all the money should go to me. But what I'm saying is Paul, interestingly, is pointing out that right up on the priority list for a church should be somebody who can give time and give attention to the study and the faithful teaching of God's word to his people. So what does that mean for us? What it means for us is that the Bible will always be our foundation. Always. You know, as a church, we want to be gospel and scripture-centered. We want to focus our attention on our spiritual formation as directed by this book. We want to participate in disciplined discipleship in the way of Jesus as revealed in this book. You know, in, in Paul's second letter to his pastoral mentee, Timothy, Paul describes what, what has been called throughout the ages the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3, he says, All Scripture is, sorry, is breathed out by God, a.k.a. written by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That means that the Bible is sufficient. It has what we need 
to be equipped for what we are to do. And so, and in the context of that passage, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, uh, he's describing the surrounding culture in what he calls the last days. He says, in the last days, watch out. This is what's going to be happening. And he brings up an environment of self-indulgence, of hatred, of violence, of a general lack of acknowledging God at all. That's the context that Paul is writing to Timothy. Does that sound familiar? But Paul, in, in this context of the last days where there's all these people that are rejecting God and being selfish and, and not regarding their parents as valuable and, and just pursuing their own passions and pleasures, in that context, Paul is writing Timothy a prescription. He says, okay, yeah, you're in that context. Let me tell you what to do then. And this is what he says. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and in Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, what does he say? Preach the word. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, whether you're on duty or off duty, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That is Paul's prescription for the days like this. To be in this book. All about it. Every week. Every day. The Bible was breathed out by God, it says, and given to us to equip us in every way that we need to be equipped. And so we at Calvary the Hill, as our, as our first value right here, will continue to make it a priority to be grounded in God's work. But remember, this grounding isn't because we worship this book, right? We don't worship this book. Sorry, one sec. This book happens to be the means by which we can know who God is. It's God's revelation of who he is and what he's like. You know, Jesus rebuked those who loved their current version of the Bible, Right? And held to it over and above its primary message. Him. Psalm 119.27, which, you know, it's the, uh, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And it's all about God's word. And no, verse 27 has been of great encouragement to me when it says, it says, help me understand the meaning of your precepts so that I can meditate on your wonders. Help me understand what this book is saying so that I can meditate on God's wonders. We love the word because it reveals the word who is God, as John 1 says. We are grounded in this book because is, is it, sorry, because it is through this book that we can personally know the author of this book. That's why we love this book. That's why we, we are grounded in this book. And that's what brings us to our second value. If we love the author of this book, we love the Spirit. Because the Spirit wrote the book. And look at in verses 7 and 8. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So here Paul is laying out a fork in the road. And it's the fork in the road of every human being on earth. And it's the same fork that Jesus described in his ministry. He said, there's a way that leads to death. It's wide. The gate is very big. And a lot of people take that way. There's another way, a narrow way that leads to life. Fewer people find it. And he suggests we take it. Paul here uses the language of flesh and spirit. And he says, those who sow to the flesh will reap death. But those who sow to the spirit will reap eternal life. We are all born walking the way of death. That's where we are born, plopped, we're walking. We're walking the way of death. We are in our sinful nature, under its sway, in the grip of the enemy. And then it says, but. Right there. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but. There's, there's plenty of those beautiful, saving interruptions that God provides in scripture. But God has provided an off-ramp from the way of death toward life. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we now have the option. We didn't even have the option before to avoid the way of death. But now we have the option by his grace to take that way of life. And so we can take that off-ramp to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And it is then that we are able to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus puts it like this in, in the Gospel of John. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, the word. And he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. So in the person of the Trinity known as the Holy Spirit, the presence of God comes to dwell with us and in us forever. The Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us and convinces us of the truth that we are loved. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us both in our words and our actions to love one another. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth, a.k.a. Capitol Hill. So what does this look like for us? What does this value look like in action for Calvary the Hill? Well, we desperately want the presence of God in our lives, both as individuals, in our, in our daily uh, prayer closet lives with God, but we also want the presence of God in our lives as a church family. This, this will lead us to an outpouring of expectant prayer. It leads us to an outpouring of joyful worship and praise to this God, and it leads us into empowered mission. It means, it, it means that we Bake prayer into everything we do. Every meeting we have, every gathering we have, we have prayer because we want the presence of God. 
and we want it desperately. It means leaning into our desperate need for God to move, both in our own hearts and in the needs of those around us. It means believing that God has good for Capitol Hill, that God has good for those that don't seem to be ready for, for the goodness of God. It means believing he can save the unsavable, heal the unhealable, restore the unrestorable. It means that when we encounter problems that we can't fix, that we don't clench our fists and, and put on our thinking creative caps to figure it out. No, we get on our knees and we call out to God. It also means loving God just for who he is. Not just for the gifts that he gives, but just for him. It means making nearness to God our highest ideal. That is my purpose in life, to experience the intimacy and the joy of knowing God. And he's found a way to be near to us, to place his own spirit within us forever through Jesus Christ. And it means celebrating that with all of our heart. That that's true. Praise God. So that's how we love God. We, we take him at his word. We, we stake our lives on his word and nothing else. When Jesus says, hey, you want to build a good house? You want to make sure it has a good foundation. Right? And if you build your house on sand, it will fall. But if you build it on the rock, It'll stand no matter what comes. And so we are grounded in God's word, attuned to God's spirit. We take him at his word and we revel in his presence. So how do we love others? Looking at our third value, we are a loving family. Verses 9 and 10 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, yeah, yeah, do good to everyone. Just be awesome. Be kind to people. But make sure you're kind to those within your own household of the church. It's interesting, to say the least, that he differentiates here. He differentiates between the good we do for people in general, our posture toward humanity, and the good we do for our own particular, specific family. And not only does he differentiate, but he seems to prioritize one over the other. He says, do good to everyone, but especially make your number one priority your spiritual family. Is it because God, you know, people inside the church are more important in God's eyes than people outside? Or because Christians are way more deserving of our goodness than non-Christians? No. It's because if, if we can't show love to those inside our family, then how on earth are we going to be able to show love outside? Let alone do it together as a family, united. You know, would you trust a barber who had a terrible haircut? Or a, a, a doctor who smoked cigarettes? 
or a financial advisor who put all his money in, in a FTC or whatever the crypto was? Would you trust a pastor who mistreated his own children? No. And you'd be right not to. No one who walks in these doors, who, who enters our community, will listen to a word we say if it's discovered that we can't even love one another well. We have to get that right. First and foremost, if we're going to turn our attention outward. And so at Calvary, at Calvary the Hill, we want to be a genuine, loving family of disciples. We want deep, life-on-life relationships rooted in the gospel, loving one another, on mission together. We want to be formed as a community that is embracing discipleship at large, following Jesus. We want to be warm and welcoming. We want to be a family, not a clique. It should be easy to come in and to be known and to get to know others. As a community, we want to be curious and humble. We want skeptics, those who who don't believe in Jesus. We want them welcomed and invited. At the risk of reading too long of a cross-reference, I just want to share with you Paul's vision of this community. After delineating the the, uh, just super awesome but robust details of the gospel in Romans. For 11 straight chapters, Paul is just hammering the gospel and what it means. In Romans 12, he opens up his, like, okay, that was nice. Now what do we do about it? And then he goes into what this community of disciples looks like. In Romans 12, starting verse 3, I'm going to read 10 verses, so, so strap up. He says, For the grace... For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, and think of this as he's talking to a a small church, which he was. (laughs) He says, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ." and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Try to do all that. Wow. That is a picture of a community that takes your breath away. And it convicts. And I feel really bad because I don't do all those things very well. And it's only when each 
of us as individual disciples of Jesus submit our entire selves to the Lord, that the Spirit can then create this community among us. You can't conjure up this kind of a thing. It's too good. But what can you do? You can pray for it. You can ask God for help to forgive others when they hurt you, which will happen. If you've come into this church and you think it's awesome, I'm really glad. Just wait until someone hurts your feelings because it will happen. And it's when we can press through that, address it, forgive one another, move through it, not hide, brush things under the rug and stuff like that. No, but we're, okay, you went to family gatherings over Christmas. We're a family. There's dysfunction That's kind of the nature of family. But what do we do about it? What do we do about it when that happens? That's that's the real test. Not of, are you going to get your feelings hurt? You will. I have. I've probably hurt some of your feelings. But how do we deal with it? And God has given us the resources to forgive. And we can ask God for love for those family members who you're not maybe super fond of, as also happens in every family, right? So when we open our hands and humble ourselves, acknowledging our own need for this kind of love, we don't have it all together. You know, he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. (laughs) Humble yourselves, acknowledging our need for this kind of a love, and God can work with that. And guess what? This is happening. You know, are we perfect? Absolutely not. But this is truly happening. I've seen it. I've tasted it. I've witnessed it. And we want more. Right? Because it's when we are a loving, united family that we can then turn our attention to those who aren't here. Which leads us to our last value. Passionately missional. Let's read 9 and 10 again because it says the same stuff. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So we love God, and we love people. Now, this love for people, like we've talked through, it it starts here, but it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop here. It spills out. It it overflows these banks. You know, we've, as individuals and as a church, we've tasted the goodness of God. And we want other people to taste it too. We want to share it. We want people of all walks of life in Capitol Hill to experience the love and the truth of the gospel, regardless of race, regardless of age, Regardless of status, socioeconomic, housing status, or other, any other typically dividing category. We don't care. We want you to taste it because it's so good. The gospel is so good. And as we all know, the best evangelists of any kind, doesn't matter what you're evangelizing, a worldview or a Netflix show, the best evangelists are those who have tasted it for themselves. You know, I... I just finished Limitless on Disney Plus, starring Chris Hemsworth. So good. So good. 
Because of it, I am finishing my showers with 30 seconds of ice-cold water. I've been doing that for weeks to boost my immune system. It's changed my life. That's the gospel of Limitless right there. I just evangelized that to you. We do, we all do it. That's where this word passionately comes in. You know, we're not missional, which the word missional, all that means is we're about God's mission to tell people about Jesus. That's what missional means. We're not just missional because we're supposed to be, because it's a box we have to check, you know, in our Christian life, a rule we have to keep. No, we're missional because we've tasted the gospel and it tastes so good. Like Andy said, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's why we're missional, because it tastes good. And we want other people to try it. It's changed my life. It's given me hope. It's given me freedom. It's given me purpose. It's given me peace, joy, security, whatever. So how does Paul say to embody this missional posture? He says, firstly here, to not grow weary. He says, do not grow weary of doing good. How do we avoid growing weary? You know, and he, he gives us that answer too. He says, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The way we don't grow weary is by entrusting the timing to God. We trust in God's timing. In due season, what does that mean? Who knows? It's, it's God's timing. Seasons can be short. Seasons can be long. But in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. This is agriculture language. We don't know when the harvest will come. We just need to be faithful to plant the seeds, to water, and to continually watch for those harvest opportunities. And that's what he says here too. He says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So secondly, Paul says not just to not grow weary, but he says to take the opportunities that come. We can't take, our, we can't take opportunities without keeping our eyes open for those opportunities. Right? If, if you are unemployed, the only way to land a job is by looking for jobs, by looking at the job postings, by, by putting out your resume, by engaging with the opportunities that come. It's not a passive process. And it's the same for us. It's the same with being a missional community. We have to keep our eyes open for those opportunities. We don't know what they're going to look like. We don't know what their names are going to be. We don't know what their stories are going to be. But we keep our eyes open for those opportunities. And Paul says, as we have the opportunity... Do good. Have that posture. And of course, we know that there's an interplay between all of these values. They're not just self-contained parts. You know, sometimes we grow weary of doing good. We just do. Sometimes we grow weary. When that happens, what do we do? We, we press into God's word. We receive his comforting, helping presence. The Holy Spirit is the comforter and the helper. 
It's when we draw near to God in his word and in praise do we become then a reinvigorated passion about loving those within and among and outside. And it's when we face relational conflict within our family, it is God in his word and by his spirit that gives us the resources to forgive and to be restored, to repent, to turn from those ways and be united with him and one another. So all these values are are intertwined. And this is how we're going to do it. We're just going to keep doing it over and over. We're going to keep preaching the word. We're going to keep seeking the face of God. We're going to continue to pour into one another. And we're going to continue to say, anybody else? It tastes so good. We have plenty left over. Is anyone hungry? Is anyone thirsty? Come and eat and, and purchase food without price and drink without payment, as Isaiah says. You know, God, God has, like our logo says, God has planted us here. God has us here, but he also has us. He, he is sending us here, but he has also sent his spirit to be with us forever. He has prepared good works for us to walk in, but he plans on walking that path with us. We need not grow weary in doing good because those who wait on the Lord, Isaiah says, will renew their strength. So if you're weary today, if you're weary heading into a new year, you're in good company. And we don't need a, you know, creative solution our way out of that. We just need to cast ourselves before the Lord and receive his renewing presence. Let's do that right now. Let's bow our heads. God, we cannot do this thing, be your body without you. And that's obvious, but sometimes it's not so obvious to us. We can't be your hands and feet without your head. Lord, strengthen us. Help us to be the church family that you want us to be. We cannot do it without you, nor would we want to. So, Lord, as we, as we turn our attention away from kind of lining up what, what it is we're about, what it is we're doing, as we turn our attention to just doing it, to being in your word as we start Philippians next week, as we continue to invest in one another, as we press into prayer and press into membership and, and things that are hopefully deepening our roots, as we seek to be a missional community that cares about one another and cares about those who aren't here yet. Lord, please continue to give us not just a checkbox attitude towards being your witness, but a, an eagerness, a zeal, and an excitement, a, a spilling out of love and joy and peace in the gospel. Lord, we can't do it without you. Holy Spirit, we need you. If you want to just join me in, in opening up your hands to receive the Spirit afresh today for this year, go ahead and just hold out your hands and we'll pray for a fresh filling of His Spirit so that we can do this, so that we can cling to Him, so that we can know how much He loves us. Dear Father, we thank You that You 
indiscriminately give your spirit to those who ask. doesn't matter who we are, what we've done. If we, if we know we need you and we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ, Lord, you give your spirit as a loving father gives a sandwich to his kid who asks. Lord, we need your spirit just like we need food, more than we need food. And so I pray right now for all of us, Lord, who are asking, I pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit and an empowering of your spirit and a fresh awareness of your presence in our lives and your love for us and your love as it's poured through us to one another. I pray for the gifts of your spirit to be spread wide and distributed wide so that we can edify one another and build each other up. And Lord, we just always go back to the same place of just being so grateful that you're this kind of a God. You're over everything. You've created everything. You are in charge. You will judge the living and the dead when that day comes. But you're also the God who wants to draw near and close and be tender in those moments of weakness and darkness where we feel lost and alone. That's you too. And so we just want to ask for more of your presence. And thank you that you promised to give your spirit. And so thank you for your spirit that you've given. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to continue worshiping, and um, Cindy and James will be up front.